This is Hekigang Local Case 62. Yunmen's within the residual. The pointer. By means of the knowledge that has no teacher, he produces the marvelous function of non-doing. By means of unconditional compassion, he acts unasked as an excellent friend. In one phrase, there is killing, there is giving life. In one act, there is releasing, there is holding. But tell me, who has ever been like this? To test, I cite this case to see. The main case. Yunmen said to the community, within heaven and earth, through space and time, there is a jewel hidden inside the mountain of fall. Pick up the lamp and go into the Buddha hall. Take the triple gate and bring it on the lamp. The verse. <clears throat> look, look on the ancient embankment who holds the fishing pole. Clouds roll in, the water vast and boundless. The white flowers in the moonlight, you must see for yourself. So I want to say thank you for uh, such an incredible Samu period. You know, coming in back into the zendo and walking around and looking at the mat, looking at the windows, offering incense at the altar, sparkling clean, fresh, new. It is such a great example, Samu, is such a great example of how we ought to live our lives constantly returning to that sense of sparkle, fresh, new, constantly working with how we cover it up and realizing again and again how encouraging it is to see that that cleanliness is always there hiding under this layer of stuff. All we have to do is care in action. Every day with everything. So, thank you. Today we are wrapping up the fall Ango period. And we enter into what we may call an interim period until the beginning of our spring Ango. Again and again and again, we do it. And Zen practice consists of different activities that are intended to help guide, encourage, and sustain our individual resolve so we stay on the path of awakening and not go astray following our harmful habitual patterns. Ango is one of them. Right? All these traditional activities are no more than made-up elements put together to form a structure that can either be conducive or burdensome, depending on our emotional and psychological interpretations and primarily on the way we engage with it. In terms of formal practice, as you know, everything we do it's just upaya or skillful means for our liberation. But the fact that the practice is skillful does not inevitably mean that we use it skillfully. It is indeed skillful. But it always comes down to how I engage. So the we has to come down to me. We sometimes is a Escape. We are doing it. Who is we if not you?
So if you feel that an ango period is an extra burden to be carried reluctantly, or if you cut corners and renege on your commitments when nobody is watching, then what is meant to be a tool becomes the master. And that which is meant to realize mastery, you, becomes the servant. The opportunity to fully engage with the full ango has passed. And so like with anything else in life, we need to let it rest and own up to the consequences of the way we use that period, however we used it. So there is that. But since ango is just a created time frame, and in reality nothing is concluded today, we are free to learn something about the way we roll, the way we engage with it, and then fully engage now. And fully engage includes fully engaging with consequences. So what does it mean to fully and dynamically engage? It can't be about what was, and it cannot be conceptual. Dynamic merging, the theme of this ango we just finishing, <clears throat> means gapless engagement with reality, which naturally must include unconditional and complete acceptance. It goes without saying. Anything I don't accept, anything I don't accept creates a mental gap and becomes a source of discontentment and great pain. And so to be fully engaged now means to fully accept what I did and did not do up to this point. And not just the past three months of ango. It includes all the choices and decisions I've made throughout my entire life. The highs, the low points, the regrets, the harm I may have caused, the good I may have done the opportunities I may have missed, this very body I happen to reside in, along with the way it looks and feels today. In other words, all circumstances I happen to meet today, all of it, has to be accepted. Not accepting all of it is not only useless, it is causing a great deal of harm by forming a fixed and defined sense of self that appears to be stuck, unchanging, and unable to adapt and move forward. And that becomes the barrier for our awakening. Anything we don't accept becomes fixed in the mind. And anything fixed is the opposite of realization or what realization means. Now, how can we awaken to the innate preciousness of our being if our attention is preoccupied by thoughts, emotions, and personal interpretations, by grasping, by resisting, by not accepting? So we need to acknowledge our self-centered preoccupation and gradually shift the attention to a deeper realm of our being. And we also need to acknowledge this is not a matter of flipping a switch, but rather a long cultivation of steadfast and devotional attitude in everyday life. So we often say that we are training. We're training to do what? We're not training to be better at jihatsu. Right? We're not training to be better at chanting. We do get better at it. But we're training to change the attitude towards life. Maybe to live with reverence and appreciation rather than do this or that activity with reverence and appreciation. 
and then when the activity ends, so is, so will the reverence and appreciation, if this is our attitude. So to change, to radically change our attitude towards life, that's the point of training. And the tail end of this fall angle happened to coincide with the Buddha's Enlightenment Day, which is commemorated on December 8th. This occasion is always a good reminder for each of us to get in touch with the aliveness, aliveness of enlightenment, maybe put aside our interpretations of it. Or in other words, the dynamic aspect of enlightenment. Because that's the only way enlightenment is. Other than that, other than dynamically changing, moving, adapting, and adjusting, any other interpretation of enlightenment is dead and conceptual. Shakyamuni Buddha was an ordinary human being like each of us subjected to the causes and conditions of the times he lived in, as we are subjected to the causes and conditions of the time we happen to be living in. He was also dealing with thoughts, emotions, regrets, discontentment. Story tells that he also has some, had some anger issues, got pissed off with the Sangha once in a while. We can understand that. And he was also preoccupied with mental constructs of his own mind. Yet, through a long and determined process, he was able to go beyond mental constructs and personal interpretations, and he was awakened to a wondrous preciousness that is essentially who we are. And then he devoted the rest of his life to being a mirror to others. And through all his talks and through the way he lived his life, he tried to convey that what he realized is within the capacity of every human being. But because we are so attached to ideas, to the idea of an unchanging self, we remain trapped within the husk and blind to the jewel that we are in essence. A state of being upside down as he described it. So in commemorating the Buddha's enlightenment, we are reminded of the responsibility to turn the attention to our own lives. So we too can recognize the many ways we uphold the idea of an unchanging self and then reinfuse our determination to practice wholeheartedly. And that means all in, all the time. All in, all the time. Is that too much? Is that too much to ask? Look, examine the way you respond to such advice. Right? Practice all in, all the time. Unwavering determination. Well, that's too much. I can do it three times, four times a week, a month, a year. But not every day, not all the time. I need a break. We may feel this way, but we feel this way not because of what this means. We feel this way because of the way we engage with such advice. It doesn't mean strain yourself. But it means wake up. Wake up, wake up. On a momentary basis. And what's the alternative, right? We also have to ask that. And we have to be honest with the way we answer that question. 
So it comes down to each of us. As a Sangha, we can only encourage, support, and help each other. But ultimately, it's up to each of us to stay engaged with the practice. In the commentary on the Buddha's enlightenment experience, Keizan Zenji said, so studying from all angles, penetrating in all ways, you should clarify Buddha's enlightenment and your own enlightenment. I want you all to see this story closely, the story of the Buddha closely, and be able to explain it. You explain it. Letting the explanation flow from your own heart, not borrowing from the words of another. Doesn't matter who this other is. Now, one of the problems, the common problems with the word enlightenment, or what we think it is, is that we make it to be a future goal or a desirable prize we wish to acquire. And viewing it in such a way creates two issues. First, it solidifies the assumption that currently it is not within my reach or my possession. Two, it solidifies delusion as a fixed opposite to realization. So the way we view realization or enlightenment or the practice can become a barrier to what it really is. Or can, it does become a barrier. And the issue is with the fixedness. In reality, neither delusion nor enlightenment are fixed. It's just that when we look at such words or at reality from perspective of an unchanging self, we tend to assign fixed notion to what we see and hear. The way we view ourselves permeates the way we view reality and other people, which means that as long as I hold to a fixed idea of who I think I am, I hold to a fixed idea of who I think you are. I'm not changing, you're not changing. Even if I am and you are, I remain blind to that. So that's our creation. Yet enlightenment and delusion are dynamic in nature. And they refer to the capacities of our being or the ways we express it. <clears throat> In the same way that these are not fixed definitions, they also don't create a fixed person. In other words, when the Buddha is open and we express our capacity for wisdom, we don't become a wise person. And when the eyes closed and we act in deluded ways, we do not become a deluded person. The difference between these two ways of being is revealed only in the consequences of our actions, not in the fixed story-based idea of a person. The me is of inconsequence. The action matter greatly. And since there's no way to escape consequences, it is imperative that we dive into the practice and examine our own grasping and our own letting go so we can awaken and stay awake. We can cause a great deal of harm or do a lot of good depending on how, how we live our lives. In our tradition, we view Shakyamuni Buddha as an example for maintaining the resolve and for living an awakened life. And we refer to him as our original teacher. But how do we understand the phrase original teacher? In other words, where does the attention go when I hear or say that original teacher, am I looking 
add someone else, add something else? Am I waiting to be led by someone? In the point of the Quran, it says, by means of the knowledge that has no teacher, he produces the marvelous function of non-doing, wu-wei. By means of unconditional compassion, he acts unasked as an excellent friend. And this is referring to Yunmen in this koan, but it is equally fitting the Buddha and all Dharma teachers throughout the 2,500 years of our tradition. Right? All a teacher can do is, in many ways, simply mirror what is already there by tapping, employing, and expressing the timeless, original teacher within themselves. By being an example. It's not an example to follow as much as an example to realize and then turn inwardly. Because teachers are human beings with karma. And if a teacher stumbles and falls, it doesn't make, it doesn't mean anything about the practice. We think it does. We think the practice doesn't work. And then we don't understand what it is, what it means to have a teacher. We just want to close our eyes, put out the hand, and you lead, I follow. It's not what the Buddha taught. Or it's not how he taught. You can adjust your position. Commenting on the meaning of teacherless teacher or inherent knowledge, Hakuin said, an infant knows how to suck the breast. This is teacherless knowledge. Also, great knowledge is teacherless knowledge, spontaneously experienced after having cut through the field of storage consciousness. The Lotus Sutra mentions all knowledge Buddha knowledge, natural knowledge, and teacherless knowledge. The mystic eulogy's commentary says, all knowledge is the knowledge derived from contemplation of emptiness or diving into Mu. Buddha knowledge is the knowledge derived from contemplation of existing things. Four. It is unique to Buddhas. When these two kinds of knowledge are developed by spontaneous awareness, they are called natural knowledge. Insofar as they do not depend on other conditions, they are called teacherless knowledge. Sometimes the essence of knowledge is called natural knowledge, while the features of knowledge are referred to as teacherless or untaught knowledge or inherent, in other words. Our entire tradition is, as you know, based on an intrinsic nature that is inherently there in each of us. It cannot be given, acquired, or lost, but it must be realized and actualized so it can function freely in our lives. Commentary says, some people acknowledge this radiant, shining spirituality as a jewel, but they cannot make use of it, and they do not realize its wondrousness. Therefore, they cannot set it in motion and cannot bring it out in action. So some people realize it, some of us realize it, but there is a gap. I feel it, 
And then here is that and here is the rest of my life. And the way I act is not based on what I experienced. It could be greatly disappointing. In Bendoa, Dogen said, although this inconceivable Dharma is abundant in each person, it is not actualized without practice and it is not experienced without realization. When you release it, it fills your hand. How could it be limited to one or many? When you speak it, it fills your mouth. It is not bounded by length or width. All Buddhas continuously abide in this Dharma and do not leave traces of consciousness about where they are. Sentient beings continuously move about in this Dharma, but where they are not clear in their consciousness, they are not clear that they are swimming in it and being unaware that what they are looking for is what they are surrounded by, or what we may be looking for is what we are surrounded by. Then he said, the concentrated endeavor of the way I am speaking of allows all things to come forth in realization to practice going beyond in the path of letting go, passing through the barrier of dualism and dropping off limitations in this way. How could you be hindered by nodes in bamboo and knots in wood? And this is referring to our concepts, our stories, even our karma. So he's talking about the concentrated endeavor of the way. And concentrated endeavor means all in all the time. Right? Not part-time practice. So since it's inherent in everyone, why isn't everybody following the teacherless teacher within and realize it? Why do we still put our trust in fallacy, act in such self-centered ways and cause so much harm when there is clearly another way to be? And I'm saying clearly because we have very rich tradition. It's been around for a very long time. Would it still be around if it wasn't based on something real? On something that's possible, that's attainable? If you've been here long enough, you've seen many people who pass through this swinging gateless gate we have here, who stuck around for a while and then disappeared. Kind of like tourists. And you've encountered others who showed up one day, received basic, basic instructions in Zazen, quietly folded their legs and began their journey without much fuss and they still happen to be around. Buddha nature is inherently there in those who make this practice a lifelong endeavor and those who pass by like tourists and then move on to dabble in other activities. So inherently is inherent in all. The difference between those who stick around and those who disappear has mostly to do with the strength of the bodhicitta, not the capacity or the potential. The bodhicitta, the way-seeking mind, is usually the primary motivating energy that raises our inquiry into the Dharma, and it propels us to engage with the form of spiritual tradition. But if it's not, or when it's not strong enough, and if we don't nurture and develop it further, we will not be able to sustain our practice. So when students lose their momentum and start to veer off, I often ask them to look inwardly and try to reconnect 
with what made them become interested in the Dharma in the first place. In other words, what brought you here? There's no random advertisement. It's not somebody told me something about Zen, or I read something about Zen, which may have happened, but something in me responded to what I read or heard. That's what brought me in. So the question for us is, going forward, right, ongoing, is how do we turn back again and again towards that, that spark that brought us into practice, and then allow that to guide us. The job of a Dharma teacher is not to persuade students to stick around but rather to point at their own inherent jewel that is illuminated and nurtured by the practice. That's all the practice is doing, essentially, is reflecting, shining on, showing what we already have, we already are, we came in with. So when somebody leaves or they don't show up for a while and we, reach out, we may reach out to them because we miss them, because we maybe have, connect, have created a connection with them or formed a connection. And of course, we miss people. So we reach out once, twice, three times, but often it's best to let them go. We don't want people showing up and sticking around because of guilt or fear or anything else. That would be deceiving in terms of Dharma teaching. This reminds me of you know, that phrase, God-fearing, devout practice. Somehow God-fearing is equated with a devout practitioner, right, in some other cultures, other traditions. And it's very interesting because, yeah, it, fear can be a great motivator, right? If you don't show up to church, you will go to hell, right? So then, well, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to show up. What kind of practice is that anyway? I check a box. Who do I show this box to, right? That's a question we have to ask. Who is making the decision? Whether I go this way or that way, I go to hell or heaven. But that's how we are often accustomed to practice or to spiritual, to being engaged with the spiritual practice. So if there is fear, we have to ask, what is it about? Because it's definitely not something we intentionally produce or create here. So in this koan, Yunmen is reminding his followers and us of this precious inherent jewel. And he said to the community, within heaven and earth, through space and time, there is a jewel hidden inside the mountain of form. Pick up a lamp and go into the Buddha hall. Take the triple gate and bring it on the lamp. The first line of what Yunmen said is a quote from an essay titled Jewel Treasury, written by Seng Chao, who was a Chinese Buddhist monk and scholar during the fourth century. And he finished writing this essay under very unusual circumstances. At some point in his life, Seng Chao was asked by the king to become an official in the palace, but he refused to do so and was sentenced to execution. Saying no to the king was not an option at that time. So Seng Chao accepted the verdict, but asked for an extension of one week so he can finish writing his essays. 
His last verse, when he was about to have his head cut off, has become quite famous in the Zen tradition. It says, the four elements in the origin are non-existent. Earth, water, air, and fire. The five aggregates are essentially empty. Form, sensation, reaction, consciousness. When the head is... When the head faces the sharp blade, it is nothing more than cutting the spring wind. In one of his essays, Sengcha wrote, a thing called up by a name may not appear as what it expected to appear. A name calling up a thing may not lead to the real thing. Therefore, the sphere of absolute truth is beyond the noise of verbal teaching. How can it then be made an object of discussion without paradox and contradiction? So when we talk about this preciousness or this precious jewel, that talk or the conversation itself is already leading away from what it is or leading us astray. Because talking about something is creating something. doesn't mean we should not talk, but it means we should examine the way we have, we hold conversations. And this is why Bodhidharma, what he meant by saying that the transmission of the Dharma is outside scriptures and letters. And that's what is meant by a teacherless teaching, a teacherless essence. The commentary says, so Yunmen cited this, this example to, this, to, his com to teach his community. The main idea is, how can you take a priceless jewel and conceal it in the heaps and elements? In other words, how can formlessness be found within form? How can timelessness manifest within our time-bound bodies? And then it says, the words spoken in the essay are all in accord with the talk of our school, of Zen. Have you not seen how Ching Ching asked Cao Chan, how is it when in the principle of pure emptiness, ultimately there is no body. Cao Shan said, the principle being like this, what about phenomena? Yeah, what about phenomena? Ching said, as is principle, so are phenomena. Well, maybe they're not two. So if they're not two, what we are is what we are looking for. And it says, that is why it, is, it was said, within heaven and earth, in space and time, there is a jewel hidden in the mountain of form. The great meaning of this is to show that everyone is fully endowed. Each individual is perfectly complete. Yunmen thus brought it up to show his community. It is totally obvious. He couldn't go on and add interpretations for you like a lecturer, but he is compassionate and adds a footnote for you saying, pick up a lamp and go into the Buddha hole, bring the triple gate on the lamp. So Yunmen, of course, didn't go on to become a lecturer or to lecture about it. Because any interpretations, any words, any commentaries can quickly lead us away or lead us astray. So he quoted that line and then he said that was his own addition. Pick up a lamp and go into the Buddha hole. Bring the triple gate on the lamp. Now, to pick up the lamp and go directly into the Buddha hole means to take full responsibility for your practice and your own realization. 
Because you have what it takes to break through all barriers and because no one else can do it on your behalf. Now to bring the triple gate and put it on top of the lamp may be more challenging to fathom. Traditional monasteries would typically have three gates, one very large one and two smalls on the sides, small gates on the sides. So logically speaking, this advice may seem quite difficult to follow. But it is essential that we do follow. People often have logical and factual explanations for their stuckness, unhappiness, or misfortune in their lives. And the more we talk and think about it, the more it makes sense the, more, the easier it becomes to explain to ourselves, to explain to others, why am I so stuck? How much misfortune I have in my life. How miserable I am. And Yunmen is telling us to not let our rational and logical minds hold us back, even if it does make sense. So what? Even if I got so good at explaining it, my story and how much it sucks, right? So what? And it's not dismissive of the story or what happened in the past. It's just saying, do not let logic hold you back. So his advice is to step into uncharted territories so we too can realize that the jewel has never been hidden but it appears hidden in a mountain of form the commentary says that Yunmen has broken up emotional discrimination intellectual ideas gain loss affirmation and negation all at once for you, for us. And the mountain of form is the four gross elements and five heaps which constitute human life. Within there is a jewel hidden in a mountain of form. That is why it is said all Buddhas are in the mind. Deluded people go seeking outside, though within they embosom a priceless jewel, they do not know it and let it rest there all their lives. And that's just so sad, isn't it? It's so sad to see people that you know you see, you hear, create their own misery. Not that they don't have cha great challenges in their lives, of course, but the misery that is created, self-inflicted pain on top of the pain that's already there, that's sad. I've said before that a few times that my dad, before he died, he said everything I ever wanted was always there, but I just couldn't see it. And it's, it's sad because opportunities at that point are obviously lost. When we get to the last breath of our lives, that's it for that round, right? But we have to realize it now. In hindsight, well, I should have done something different. Well, now is the time to do something different. So later on, I look back, yeah, well, I lived a life, my eyes open. And when the eyes closed, I opened them up again and again and again and again. They tend to close. But so what? They can open. 
commentary also says that Buddha nature clearly manifests, but the sentient beings dwelling in form hardly see it. Right? So Buddha nature clearly manifests, but sentient beings dwelling in form hardly see it. Therefore, the form becomes the barrier. If one realizes that sentient beings have no self, how does his own face differ from a Buddha's face? This is, I think, very encouraging, right? If one realizes that sentient beings have no, no self, and this is what we need to realize, one is us. So if one means it's if you, or when you realize that you are not what you think you are, ever, Right? If you think you suck, if you think you're great, if you think you're wise, if you think you're deluded, if you think you're smart, if you think you're stupid, successful, failure, none of it is you. None of it is you. You are much greater than that, but not as a fixed great either. You're much greater because you're constantly moving and changing and dynamic. Being dynamic, you... You are everywhere, all at once. There are no borders or barriers to your being, except for what you think. And if you give what you think credence, then it becomes you. The verse... Look, look. Just do that. On the ancient embankment, who holds the fishing pole? Look, who holds the who is in charge? Who's guiding? Right? So is there anybody who's holding this? Right? So fishing teachers often, and you've heard this before in different koans. They are sometimes seen as you know fishermen and going with a to fish those who are hungry for the Dharma, those who want, who have this bodhicitta strong enough and they want to awaken. They know, they realize that there is another way. So when this happens, then somehow a teacher appears, and then there is that connection or that mirroring we should say. But the ancient embankment, this is ancient practice. Ancient, but not because 2,500 years. Ancient because it is our original nature, our timeless original nature, not just 2,500 years. The Buddha did not create anything. He recognized something. So it's ancient. And we have to look. And we have to take responsibility. So yes, of course, there is a teacher, there is a Sangha. There are, there are teachings. They are great and they are important. But we have to take the responsibility. Clouds roll in. The water vast and boundless. This is reality. This is the way it is. The white flowers in the moonlight. You must see for yourself is the last line of this verse. And it's always the bottom line, right? You know, the white flowers in the moonlight. How incredible that is. But if it's just a line in a verse, what do we do with a line in a verse? We could put it in a museum, frame it nicely with gold leaf around. And then what? And then the visit to the museum ends and then we go back home. So inherent, yes, remember I read this morning for Master Longji, who said, Today is not your first arrival here. Since the ancient home before empty kalpas, 
Clearly, nothing has been obscured, right? It's not hidden. Although you are inherently spirit and splendid, still you must go ahead and enact it, right? So if you don't do that, who will? And why is it so important that we do? Because we cause so much harm as human beings. Because we are so destructive. And I think that we do that because we don't know how to meet ourselves. We don't know we are so impulsive in our actions because we don't know how to meet our own thoughts, emotions, anxieties, karma, upbringing issues. We just don't know what to do with it. So instead of turning it around and examining and working with it or giving it space in our zazen, we just perpetuate it. It's been done to me, I'm going to do it to others. I don't think we do it consciously like that, but that's what we end up doing. If we've been abused, we end up abusing others. Not by choice. By habit. So I think practice gives us the, the, the power to quell the impulsive energies within so we don't go yelling at people, hurting other people, doing what we do on a daily basis to each other. So we can calm it down and then maybe meet others with different energies, with kind, loving, caring energy, which we have, even if they're covered up by a lot of grumpiness and irritations and all that stuff, still there is a lot of good within us hidden in the mountain of form. So what's that form made of today is the question, right? So what is getting in my way today that's preventing me from Shining that light on others, on the world, Give, not just shining, but offering that light to others on a daily basis. Other than me, what is getting in my way? Right? And the me has to do with the story, obviously. But other than that, what is getting in my way? So Dogen said, how can you be hindered by nodes in bamboo and knots in wood? And that's what he meant by that. Can you? Are you? Or you just believe that you are, so therefore you are. Because if you believe that you are, you are. No doubt. So pick up the lamp and put the triple gate on it and do what you think is impossible. And wake up. Thank you.